Hi everybody, I'm David Church and this is the Queer Ed Podcast, where we will explore everything queer and how it impacts on education in today's society. Every episode will focus on a different theme in queer education, from the latest research to queer history and how it impacts on children and staff in education today. So welcome to this first ever episode of the Queer Ed Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be thinking about Section 28, its impact on teachers and children at the time, and also what that means in today's society, both for our children and also our teachers and wider families. We'll also be thinking about the need for teachers to be more diversity literate and act as mentors for social justice and equity before finally looking at queer theory and thinking about how that can have a place in today's education system. As a teacher, I've always been interested in diversity, equality, equity, and how we can really make sure that every child has the best start in life they can, thinking about what happens in early years, in primary school, in secondary school, and then what choices they make for their life. For me, gender identity has been one of the things that's come up quite a lot in the recent years, really starting to challenge my own conceptions about what it means to be male, what it means to be female, and how this might manifest in schools. I've noticed from my own experiences that often in earlier settings, in reception, when children are only four and five, the gender norms already start to form, that there are already um, preconceptions that come through that are heteronormative, that show that girls are weak and are beautiful and are damsels in distress, if you like, and that boys are the masculine ones and they are the ones who need to save the girls. So heteronormativity is being... Um, established really on early on in a child's school career and I think it's important we challenge that. So I just want to start by giving you a bit of a background into me and why I've got to the point I'm at now, why this podcast, why 2021. Then finally we'll talk about queer theory, the background behind that and how that really relates to education. So section 28. Hopefully many of you will be aware of section 28 and how that has had an impact on education. But if you'd like to find out a bit more, please do check out our Instagram feed at underscore queer.ed for more info. So the late 1980s, uh, gay and lesbian people in the UK were really loudly demanding equality. And this was much to the dismay, if you like, of traditionalists in Britain at the time. So Section 28 was the Conservative government's response to this um, LGBT activist movement for true equality, acceptance and inclusion in society. Margaret Thatcher's answer to those who believed that they had an inalienable right to be gay. Now, Section 28 was a really vaguely worded and woolly law, actually, but it prohibited uh, local authorities and schools from promoting homosexuality and actually stopped a lot of councils and local authorities from funding much needed lesbian and gay initiatives. Now, this was at a time when gay people were struggling to cope with the AIDS epidemic, and it was a callous attempt to suppress an already marginalised group. At the time, 75% of the population were reportedly in the opinion that homosexual, homosexual activity was always or mostly wrong. But what Section 28 supporters failed to foresee was that it would actually inspire one of the most rapidly successful civil rights movements in modern British history. So I just want to unpick Section 28 in schools at the time. On a personal level, I started primary school in the late 1980s and finished secondary school in the year 2000. So everything that I went through, primary and secondary, was under section 28. And what was the impact on me? Now, firstly, at primary school, you could argue that it wasn't much of an impact. And for me, sexuality started to become a bit of a thing when I started secondary school in 1995. 
But the real challenge was that nobody could talk about it. Now, it didn't mean these things weren't happening. It didn't mean that um, my teachers, I would imagine, were probably aware of my sexuality. My parents have always said they knew from a young age that I was gay. So I'm sure that the teachers knew as well. But it also meant my peers knew. Most days I was bullied and I was called gay. That became a fact of my life. But the trouble is no one could talk about it. Nobody could challenge that behaviour or that language. It was almost as if it didn't exist. It was like we had tape, teachers had tape over their mouths that they couldn't talk about homosexuality in any sense. Couldn't even provide me with numbers of the switchboard or charities that could help because actually the funding wasn't there anyway from local authorities and local councils. Now we're in a much stronger position. We've got youth groups, we've got LGBT groups that are out there. We've got charities such as Just Like Us who do an amazing amount of work for LGBT youth. But at the time, growing up, as a gay person, not knowing, is this right, is it not right, was a real struggle. The media wasn't much better at the time. The way that the AIDS pandemic was being portrayed in the late 80s, I remember some of that. I also remember the impact it was to not have any openly gay or LGBT members um, in music, which was which is always big in a child's life. As growing up, as especially in my secondary school years, music was a big thing. But there was nobody out there that I felt was like me. So I felt isolated and I felt alone. Now, of course, in hindsight, when I look back at it, I know that wasn't the case. But Section 28 made that happen. That made me feel like I had nobody else like me that I could turn to. Now, I am really lucky that I have a supportive family and things have certainly moved on. And there's been a lot happening since Section 28 was repealed in 2003 in England and in 2000 in Scotland. So we're heading in the right direction. The problem is as well, when you look at it from the other side, just because I was growing up as a gay person and not knowing how to be um, authentic in myself and to develop a good level of self-esteem and feel accepted and valued by my peers, it also meant that my peers weren't being educated about what it means to be a gay person in today's society. So there was a real void that hasn't really been addressed from a whole, from generations. People my age are now parents and are sending their children to school. And whilst most are fine and most are accepting and respect other people's um, beliefs and respect other people's values and ideas and accept them for who they are, sadly, not everybody is in that position. And we're now in a position where, unfortunately, we have parents and grandparents who don't accept the LGBT community, who barely tolerate it if we're very lucky. They're sending their children to school. They're passing on their messages to their children. Their children are going to school now. And I would argue from my experience as a teacher, they're not being challenged either. So we're allowing this um, unacceptable uh, idea that LGBT uh, diversity doesn't need to be accepted. It doesn't even need to be tolerated. And, you know, when you look at the reports coming in from Stonewall and their, their school report that happened in 2017, nearly half of LGBT pupils are still being bullied for being LGBT in Britain schools. When you look at the trans pupils by themselves, it's at 64%. Just one in five LGBT pupils have been taught safe sex in relation to same-sex relationships in secondary schools. Just one in three trans pupils are not able to be known by their preferred name at school. So there's still a lot of work that needs to be done and Stonewall have done an amazing job at um, tackling homophobic bullying in a really strong and positive way, such as the Get Over It campaign, um, which launched in 2007 and is still having a great impact even 14 years later.
to the point that I even accepted a job, a teaching job, because of the campaign. The poster was prominently displayed and proudly displayed, and it meant that I felt part of the community. And that made me feel as an educational professional that I can be who I need to be, that I can be who I want to be, and I can be safe and I can be happy in school and I'm accepted for who I am. But as I said, as a teacher, I'm noticing that that's not quite the case. There are luckily some great resources out there, such as the No Outsiders programme by Andrew Moffat, which has really gone into great detail at providing lesson plans and ideas and books that we can be using in school to really promote LGBT diversity and visibility within our schools. So that's a little bit about Section 28 and me. And of course, as we go through the podcast series, we'll unpick Section 28 with a range of different perspectives, thinking about straight allies, members of the LGBT community, both staff and children. So now, of course, there is a real need for our teachers to be literate in diversity and act as mentors for social justice and equality in schools and equity in our schools as well. We need them to be well-versed in multiculturalism, and we see it in the media. We turn on TV now, and we are in a really fortunate position where representation is at its highest rate, I think we've seen in ever, forever, I would argue. You look at uh, programs like Star Trek Discovery, RuPaul's Drag Race, it's a sin. We are getting the true representation and visibility that actually needs to be there. It can be argued that there's still a lot more to be done, especially when you think about the trans community and their real visibility within schools. But we're in the best position we have been in. We have teachers who will be watching these programmes, who are aware of it, but there's a disconnect between what's happening in society and what's happening in our schools. And we need to bridge that gap between them. And this podcast series will be looking at that and thinking about what can we do to really queer education, to queer our experiences, And we need our teachers to be really challenging that heteronormativity, whether they're allies, whether they're members of the LGBT community, and making sure that every child fundamentally feels safe when they're in school. So now let's have a bit of an unpicking about queer theory and a whistle-stop tour through how queer theory has developed over the years and where we're at a position now where we can start thinking about queer pedagogy and queering education. So obviously the word queer has been through a bit of a a transformative time, started off as basically just means strange in the early 1900s, then it's become a bit of a slur and was offensive, and actually until recently I found the word offensive, until I found it for myself again and have kind of owned it and I'm quite happy to use the word queer when I'm talking about myself and when I'm talking about the community. So for me it's very much about um, this whole discourse around expression of gender and sexuality For me, when I think about education, queer theory is all about challenging heterosexuality, heteronormativity, and refusing to have that as normalised and accepted standard of sexuality, and challenging the idea that um, you have to be cisgendered and you have to be hetero to be normal, and really developing that in schools and thinking about the nuances of it, that it's not just about what happens when we think about relationships and sex education, it's not just what happens when we think about biology and reproduction, but looking at it from a much wider perspective, what's happening in our English curriculum, what books are we exposing our children to, what messages and what values are we subconsciously giving our children, what are we telling them we value as as educators and as professionals, 
what's happening in science, what's happening in other subjects, what's happening in history. Are we are we portraying a heteronormative view on history? Can we queer that and look at it even in primary school and think, right, when we're looking, for example, at World War II and Alan Turing, do we even mention his sexuality and his identity and that how that was an important aspect for him? Or is it being silenced and not being heard? So that's where I want to go with this podcast and really think about it from that point of view, but also thinking about gender theory as well and breaking down those social constructs of gender, that difference between masculine and feminine and how actually gender identity isn't quite that simple and how we um, portray ourselves and develop our identity and our self-esteem and our self-belief because of the way that we are um, portrayed or meant or expected to behave and perform when we're in school situations. And it's also when you think about it from a, from the idea of having a patriarchy or the way that school structures are, are set. And, you know, it's quite widely known that in primary schools, often they're female dominated, but often you will find a male head teacher. So we still have this idea that a man is the one in power and the men are the ones that run the school. In secondary, there's a bit more of a mix because of the subjects, but still it's it's male. When I think about my school structure, our head of academy is male, head of primary is male, I am male. So we there's work to be done even there to be challenging the gender norms and thinking about why does it happen? But also I'd love to go deeper into thinking about how this is pretty much a Western ideal. How can we think about gender behaviors that are rewarded and punished in schools? How can we challenge those and think at what we can learn from other parts of the world and how they think about gender? How is gender accepted in other cultures and moving away from these binary categories that we so often see? So queer theory is a lot to unpick so that's why we're going to be thinking about it from a broad aspect of, of themes. We're going to be thinking about having straight allies and why they are so important in helping get our message out there as to why queer theory is so important in education. We're going to be thinking about how we can really challenge it deeper in early years so that we start it off with the best foundations possible. We're going to be thinking about subjects in particular that we can really look at and challenge the ideas and think about heteronormativity and how we can challenge that as we go through thinking about science and English. So it's going to be a real journey and exploration about queer theory and how it really links into pedagogy. As I said, we'll be looking at literature. We'll be interviewing other uh, professionals, getting their opinions of growing up with Section 28. What is it like being an educator in today's society and thinking about it from that way? So that's it for the first ever episode of the Queer Ed podcast. Be sure to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. I'm David Church, wishing you a very happy and queer week. <laughs>